0: show people by example you don't have to have the title of leader like manager if you have to tell people you're in charge you're not really in charge but leadership to me is just is setting a good example and being there to coach up other people and encourage other people that's what a leader is
1: hello positive leaders thanks for joining us today you are listening to the positive leadership podcast with andrea crabtree and david list a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of Furpaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional.
2: And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician.
1: And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, and leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips.
2: We will deliver real-life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone.
1: This episode is sponsored by Thrive Affordable Vet Care. Looking for a thriving career? Make the change and find your why at Thrive. Now hiring clinical staff. Visit thrivevet.com careers today. We are super excited to have an amazing guest here today. Michael Shirley, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. We are excited to have you. Michael is the owner and manager of Family Pet Health, and I believe that's in Tennessee, right, Michael?
0: That's correct. Murfreesboro, Tennessee.
1: Okay. And he is also the creator for Veterinary Leadership Book Club that is on Facebook. So thank you, Michael, for coming in and and chatting with David and I today.
0: Well, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you all for inviting me.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Michael, for being here.
1: And Michael, I um, I don't know you. I've, obviously, I've never met you. You're being in Tennessee and me from California. I've not uh, met you in person. And when David had said, hey, we should have Michael Shirley on, I said, who? And he sang your praises quite a bit. So I would love for you to sing your own praises. Without me having to read your bio, can you tell me about yourself?
0: Well, I, I, I used to tell people that I raised two-legged and four-legged kids. And that was my elevator pitch, right? Because uh, oh, right. I, I love goats and, and have, we have a small farm here in middle Tennessee. Now, when people ask me what I do, I say, you know how, you know how people hate going to the vet because it's really stressful, like for their pets. And, and you know how people in the veterinary industry sometimes dread going to work or they sit in their parking lot and cry before their shift or cry after their shift. And they say, well, yeah, Yikes. I don't know about that. And I say, mm-hmm. well, well, I own and operate a veterinary hospital that is designed to decrease those negative experiences for all people involved, whether it's the pet owner or the the worker or the pet. And, uh, that's kind of my lead in that's, that's what gets people saying, okay, well tell me more about that. Mm, So yeah, tell us more. um, That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) My wife is Dr. Amy Shirley and we own family pet health in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and we're a small animal practice. We purchased it three years ago. It was a, a no low practice and we bought it at the very end of March, 2018. We're just now starting our third year and, um, we're adding a third doctor here in July. So we've grown a lot. Fantastic. Yeah, we're a fear-free certified practice, the only one uh, in our county and, and just one of just a few in the state of Tennessee. And we started Family Pet Health because my wife came home. We got married in 2005, two weeks after she graduated from veterinary school. And then she started working at another local practice here in Murfreesboro uh, just a couple of weeks after that and worked there for 10 years. And while she was doing that, I'm an educator. Um, I worked for our county extension service. I was a 4-H agent. For nine, oh, eight, sure. eight, cool. eight, nine nice. years, something yeah, like that. Cool. And then the local high school called me and asked me if I would come and be an agriculture teacher. So I just finished my sixth and a half year, I guess, of teaching. And uh, as uh, animal science was why they hired me. So I was an animal science and vet science pathway instructor and then taught ag engineering as well. So the, the shop class.
2: Nice. Yeah. yeah, so
0: that's 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 what I did. FFA advisor as well. So so that's kind of what I did. And and one day she mm-hmm. came home and and had kind of that story that so many people do, where maybe you don't feel appreciated or you just feel stuck. And we had had that conversation many times before. And I looked at her and I said, "Amy, I love you. You either have to decide that they're paying you enough to deal with what you deal with, and that you're going to be there, or you need to quit. It's one of those two. Because we're we're we just keep having the same discussion. And yeah, she said. Round. Yeah, mm-hmm. round and round. And she said, I just don't know. And I said, you are a great doctor. She is. She's a great doctor, fantastic employee, right? And I said, you will do great whatever you do. And I'm here to support you. And so she turned in her notice and worked out a non-compete. And then we were able to find this practice. We bought it. I continued teaching full-time and then worked at the vet office full-time after that. And then I resigned. And I have since resigned three times. <laughs> so I keep, I keep <laughs> kept saying, uh, I resigned at the keep, end of uh, the... Yeah, at the end of the school year in two thousand and eighteen, they called me back to do an interim teaching position, which turned into the rest of that school year. I resigned again, and then they asked me to teach part time and did that for a school year. And then I resigned again, and I made it almost all the way through this school year. COVID nineteen happened, right? And and one of the teachers just just left. If we talk about burnout in the veterinary industry. There's a lot of burnout in the education field as well.
1: Yeah, especially with all the the Zoom and the changes the speakers have sure. to make. Yeah, yeah. and. Yeah.
0: And so they asked me if I would come back. I talked to my wife and my team at the hospital and they are like, yeah, go do it. You know, it's going to be great. So I went and finished out the quarter four with the school and I'm back at the vet office exclusively again. So that's my story in a nutshell. You're getting
1: really good at retirement
0: then, huh? Yeah, well, that is part of why I kept going back. I kept saying, well, you know, I'll go back and get paid, fund my retirement and get ready for that.
1: Yeah, I'm retiring as a teacher five times over.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, it's hard because the kids, I love, I love teaching. I really do. I'm good at it. And I really enjoy working with high school students. So that draw is always there. And I miss it. That's why I keep going back, I think. This time... I realized these past nine weeks, because our practice is growing so much, it was harder for me to be away this time than ever before. So we, Oh, I
1: can imagine. So we
0: all talked about it and everybody's glad to have me back, but they're also like, we, we know you'll go back to teach. I'm like, no, I really am not this time. (laughs) So uh, it was harder.
1: (laughs) Michael, you said that when you and your wife bought a practice, you called it a NOLO practice. Can you tell me a little bit about what NOLO is? Define that for our listeners. Yeah.
0: So I, I hate that I did that. I used the acronym that maybe people aren't familiar with, but you know, it's a low profit business, right? Like it, it was just kind of there. The reason that, that we bought it is because it's just four miles from our house, which is really convenient. Oh, nice. And we're like, Mute. this is where we want to be. So rather than opening up a building from scratch, why don't we try to buy out what would be then our competition after a very long time, able to come to an agreement? But basically what that means from the way I look at it is that they were there. They hadn't really invested anything in their practice as far as technology goes. And, and I'm, I'm big on technology. Uh, they were still using like film, like x-ray film and stuff like that. Needed a lot of work. It was a fixer-upper, a flipper, right? So that's what that means.
1: Okay, great. Thank you. And you talked about being an educator. And if you could say what your favorite book is or a podcast, since you said you're a podcast junkie, or something that's left a lasting impact and that affected how you manage today or who you are today, or maybe even who you are as a teacher and educator. Can you tell me what that piece of material would be and why?
0: My favorite book, favorite podcast is from Donald Miller, Building a Story Brand is the book and his podcast used to be called Building a Story Brand. Now it's called Business Made Simple. Somebody recommended his book to me back in 2018, I think, like right after we had bought the practice and I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. (laughs) And I listened to all his podcasts and definitely one of my top listened to uh, podcasts that I still, I still learn something Hmm. every time I listen to it. Nice. It's a fantastic framework. And uh, Dr. Jessica Vogelsang and Julie Busby, that both of those uh, veterinarians are, I didn't know this at the time, but since having met them, they're they're big story brand people as well. And it just, it's just talks about framework and storytelling and how when you are building your business, you need to invite your clients into a story versus just mm-hmm. trying to be there for them. And when we talk about building loyalty and growing a brand, it's the best podcast and best book. I, I highly recommend
2: it. Awesome. Thank you. That's fantastic. So you are the creator of an amazing Facebook group that I hope all of our listeners join the veterinary leadership book club. So tell us a little bit about why you started a book club for veterinary leaders. And and I'd love for you just to segue right into what is leadership for you? And and how does a book club group on Facebook kind of help achieve that, you know, that mission?
0: So the veterinary leadership book club started in the Veterinary Practice Managers United Group. So if you go on Facebook and you search for VLBC, that'll take you to the Veterinary Leadership Book Club. And if you're a practice manager, I highly encourage you to join the Veterinary Practice Managers Group United. It's a fantastic group as well. As a part of that group, 2018, at the very beginning, like in January, I like Donald Miller, talked about him, but I also like John Gordon, who who wrote the book called The Energy Bus, which is probably my second.
1: Yes, I did that one. That's one of my faves.
0: Yeah, we require anyone that's going to apply before they can come in for a working interview at Family Pet Health, they have to read the Energy Bus. It's a requirement. Like if you don't read the book, you don't come through our doors. But anyway, he came out with a new book, Power Positive Team with John Gordon. And I asked anybody, hey, would anybody be interested in reading this book with me? Because I just wanted to have some accountability partners that would make sure that I actually read the book before I required my team to read it. I don't know, like 50 people said they wanted to do it. And I wanted to have like a, a weekly discussion or even a daily discussion on what we were reading. Facebook wouldn't let us start like a subgroup within the group. And so I just created the Veterinary Leadership Book Club and it like just posted a link there. And now it has over 1,800 members. We've read six or seven books over the past year. The Power of a Positive Team, we couldn't have read it at a better time because right after we finished it was when COVID happened. And oh, wow. Wow. You talk about a stressful time, right, where it's hard to be a positive team.
1: Yeah, right.
0: In February and March of 2020, it was super stressful. And we, were, we had yeah, we read that book at our office. We have a weekly team meeting, and we read that book together, and we discussed it each week at our team meeting before we talked about other things. That's awesome. Yeah, it really helped.
2: Yeah, I hope all of our listeners check out and join the group. I mean, I'm kind of a lurker, I'll be fully honest. But you guys, they do regular reviews of the book with prompts for you to kind of stay on track and answer questions. Michael and his team of Facebook moderators do video kind of chats about the books. I mean, you have a really robust group. So, you know, kudos to you. Yeah, and
0: I would be remiss if I did not give a shout out to Jade Quigley, Emily Grimstead, Uh, Jennifer Potts and Beth Malone, who are, they are my accountability partners that I was searching for. We What we decided to do was when we start reading a book, we put out a schedule and it's broken down into weeks. And then each week, Monday through Friday, myself and one of the other moderators each day will post one discussion prompt for each day of the week. This is designed that if you started reading these books with your team, with your veterinary team, you could just start a week after we do in the book club. We're going to provide you all of those questions to talk about with your team. Wow, nice! And uh, yeah. it's just and it's all veterinary specific. So we're reading we're reading um, right. books like The Culture Code and The Five Dysfunctions of a Team and Building oh, a Story which is Brand. Amazing. We all of our discussion questions are related specifically. To vet med and it's it's just an easy resource and David you're not the only one that's lurking and I know that people are are (laughs) reading it and digesting it because they send me messages and like hey thanks for what y'all are doing I we read this Mm -hmm. book with our team and we had this discussion with our team and it's it's that's awesome that's pretty fun
1: I love how you spoon feed that because I think often we. As managers, we want to try to do something with our team, but it's difficult to find the time to do that. So if, you know, like you said, if we can start a week after, then we can just, it's spoon fed mm-hmm. to us. Yeah. And then we could just turn it you know, right back around and give it to our teams. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: That's right. And, and and if you start now, there's already six books done for you. So you yeah, got it's content. all archived got, in Facebook. Yeah, it's all archived <laughs> in Facebook. Yeah, awesome. I actually just bought the domain veterinaryleadershipbookclub.com.
2: Good for you. Excellent.
0: Yeah, just in case... Yeah. Facebook ever shut it down but I'm going to try to pull all that off and put it on our website like awesome. just it's just a free resource and why because yeah. like so nice. many people in this industry and these practice managers have been so selfless and and given up their advice and their time and I just want to provide another resource for small businesses yeah. like ours like I can't afford these big consultants and things like that mm-hmm yeah right. once i started reading these books and i start seeing some of the people post stuff as consultants i'm
2: like mm-hmm. hey that's not your idea that was uh, daniel idea. So <laughs> yeah like, right, right. <laughs> there you go you realize they're because there's recycling stuff yeah right. <laughs> so you know you've got leadership in the in the title and i love how you called it the veterinary leadership book club versus the veterinary manager book club it's not bad it's just there's a different connotation michael what's leadership to you And
0: there's a reason for that, right? Like anybody in your office is a leader. I would tell my students in the classroom, all of you are leaders. Somebody's following you and you may not even realize it. You know, we're a fear-free certified practice and I'm on the fear-free Facebook page and people talk about, I'm the only one that's fear-free in my practice and it's really struggle. I'm like, yeah, I bet that is a struggle, but they can just start. And, and show people by example. You don't have to have the title of leader, like manager. If you have to tell people you're in charge, you're not really in charge, right? Yeah, and, right, uh, exactly. And, and that's what I would tell my students. And, and a lot of those lessons from the classroom transition great into a vet hospital. <laughs> but leadership to me is just is setting a good example and being there to coach up other people and encourage other people. That's what a leader is.
1: On the Facebook page, you said you've done six books already, and one of those books is a book called Inclusify by Stephanie Johnson. And I have to admit, I have not read the book, but I am so engaged and so excited to talk about this book because just a little bit of snippets that I've seen. And in the book, she discusses empowerment as giving other people the authority to accomplish tasks right? And she talks about this white knight who tends to come in and save the day and solve the problems for others. And Johnson says it reduces self-esteem and can cause some psychological well-being and increase self-doubt and, and, and the person that's being um, overtaken and, and helped. And I think this white knightism is so common in veterinary medicine, especially among managers, because we have this philosophy or this thought process of, let me just do it myself because it's faster. And I think we're doing a huge disservice to our teams of doing it this way instead of empowering our team to take on these tasks or to do these projects. So tell me about how you empower your team. It sounds like not even just your team, but even your high schoolers, right? Your kiddos. Tell me about a little bit about this white knightism and this empowerment here that we're talking about.
0: Yeah. So this, this Inclusify book is probably as far as Me personally, like my personal journey, this was the hardest book for me to read because it talks about inclusifying. The reason we picked this book was because of all of the things that are going on, like the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter. just sure. Our country's awareness of maybe not everything is fair and not equal. And so this book actually, it talks about what you were talking about, like I'm just going to do it myself. But the white knightism that she's talking about here is more of like swooping in and, and like in a paternalistic, like, I'm going to try to save these people because they're like my children or I'm guiding them or, mm-hmm. um, and this was this, oh man, if you, if you followed the book club, like I stepped in it in this one, because it talks about like not giving people special treatment be, just because of who they are. And I was like, well, wait, whoa, 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 like, like women are different than men and people, oh man, like that, I was thinking like physically, right. But that's not mm-hmm. what the book's talking yeah. about. It's talking about their abilities.
2: Mm-hmm. Correct
0: we are all able, right? Correct. Right. If I try to help out someone in my office, and this is what I said was I'm from the South. Like we hold doors open for women. That's the way I was taught. Yeah. Right. And somebody goes, but if you don't do it for men, then you're not treating everyone equally. And I'm like, Oh yeah. I don't race across the parking lot to open the door for a man. I, I only need it to open it for a female, right? Right. If we take that same example to the vet office, if I see a female struggling with lifting anything up, right, and I run over to help and offer my assistance, she may not need my help. But if I see that, I'm like, oh, I should go help. But I don't do Mm -hmm. that for the men on my team. I'm actually hurting both people, right? I'm hurting the female because I am assuming that she needs my help or uh, Mm -hmm. doing these special things for her, and then I'm making the men feel excluded because, well, why am I giving her special treatment?
2: Right, right, it's a double-edged sword, right? Yeah, so so what it's
0: talking about, messing with their psychological well-being, after if you start doing that to to just certain groups whether it's you do it for the females or do it for the male or do it for the people of color like without them even knowing it it can cause them to have self-doubt like can i do this mm-hmm. job like why does michael right. always come over to help me but nobody else am I right. really incompetent and i'm doing it because i'm trying to be nice because mm-hmm. that's the way my dad told me to right. be right like and so sure right. that's that was what was so hard about this book to read mm-hmm. is i'm like wait this doesn't make sense people are the different and, yeah. and i'm like wait 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 yeah. not in their abilities like to do the job. Right. And so that's what the book's talking about.
2: That's the invisible bias that creeps in. Yes. And really why, whether you agree or not, I mean, we're not going to debate the law. Yeah, but that's right, why right. Andrew and I do a lot of HR and mm-hmm. you have the, the federal, the EEOC and different state organizations. And what they say is, so for example, like men and women pay, right? A technician woman and a technician man, maybe you both pay them $18, whatever it is. But there's this invisible bias and it's shown in, you know, surveying millions and millions of female and male wages and go, well, why are men? paid more in the same job, the you know, when they make apples to apples. And the only thing you can come down to is in your head, you just either harder negotiate on a woman or you don't think they can do the job as effectively. So you pay them 50 cents less, 25 cents less, and you end up with this disparity that is being talked about in Washington. And, and that's the idea. And you're right on, Michael, that it's it's not about, you know, yes, of course, a female vet tech and a male vet tech can do the same thing. But now you're talking about having to really look internally and look at these blind spots slash kind of dark spots of where we don't even know we have these these internalized kind of biases you know if you have a big clinic and you did some statistics on your salaries you put everybody in different categories and looked at them and went holy moly I do pay women less than men like you're in trouble that's illegal you know so it's it but it's important and I think that I would say good for you for recognizing it good for you for taking a bit of maybe the rough feedback in that group and just taking a step back and realizing where you were at and where you can learn and I'll turn it over to Andrea because she is a senior professional in human research sources and yeah. so i know i know you've got I'm something i'm just to say. chomping at the bit over here
1: right because i'm like mm, i'm gonna go let him say oh andrea
2: said. i wish you had been reading this book and commenting <laughs> with us you could
1: have helped us <laughs> right because the first thing i think of is you know i raised two boys and so there's by myself as a, as a single mom and so you better believe i stood in front of that door and i waited until one of the two of them opened up that damn door like you yeah. are not going to i'm not going to lose that dying breed of there's something to chivalry, right? Yep. But I'll be damned if I can't carry a hundred pound bag of horse feed out to my barn, you know, like, mm. so I see what you're saying. And there's a difference there between the chivalry, mm-hmm. right. And, and the ability to do it and going off of what, you know, a little bit of what David's saying about this pay disparity. And, and there's something to the, how women and how men approach a job. And from the aspect of the job seeker, not from the employer side, but from the job seeker side, when a, a a female and a male go to apply for a job. A male may have 50% of the abilities posted in the job ad and he will absolutely apply for the job, go in and say, you should hire me at top dollar. Where a female will look at that job ad and said, you know what, I can only do about 90 or 95% of that. I don't know if I'm qualified. I'll have to go in at the low end and hope they hire me. I mean, and this is I've read this over and over again. I see it in the thousand people a year that I hire and interview and, and, and bring in on the flip side of it, right? And so I see how this women and men are different in the way they think and approach things. But is it because of the bias and how we've been told and brought up? And holy shit, I can't wait to read this book now. <laughs>
0: it's a really good book. And so Dr. Johnson was the first person, first author that took me up on a uh, an offer to interview her. And so she does a zoom call with me. We did it before we read the book and I read the book and then I interviewed her. So I had a couple of questions that I was struggling with, but she's so smart and she did such a great job uh, talking with me. So it's, it's worth it to, to log into the veterinary leadership book club. Yep. Check it out. Watch that video with Dr. Johnson
2: awesome oh that's so cool that you could you have yeah on. you know we that's yeah, what we do with the show is try to get get cool people on we have a couple of people who've written some books coming on soon we do a lot of veterinary obviously people but yeah
0: i grew up in education i worked for the extension service i'm all about research like show me the don't just give me anecdotes but like show me the numbers and the research yeah and i do right. like this about the book because it talked about uh, meritocracy managers are another problem i just want to i'm just going to hire the best people for the job you're not taking into account like history (laughs) so but why um, are they the best
1: people for the job yeah because they've had the opportunity more than anybody else or right right case maybe yeah
0: but it talks about like the what happened when they just blinded the applications Mm -hmm. and it talks about she talks Mm -hmm. about obviously because she's in in higher education um just like and i've served on some university search committees before and it's like who's doing research and who's getting published and and doing that and And when you blind it and take off their names and their addresses and their alma mater's, and you Mm -hmm. just have the data, like, I am, it will help you hire. Yeah. People that it takes yeah. away some of those unconscious bias, and people say, "Well, right. I don't. I'm not biased. I just hire the best people." It's called unconscious because you're not aware yes. of it. right. right. So exactly. If you're aware of it, it's not a. Con- exactly. it's, it then becomes a conscious bias, um, right? And, and so,
2: and isn't that interesting how it slaps you in the face? You oh, know, in California, God, we yeah. have a new reporting law where you're over 100 employees, which is a big practice, right? But still, you have to report pay, gender, uh, and other other protected category um, data to you know our, our EEOC, our our labor board, and um, you know. I'm sitting in a practice that's probably going to grow to that point. And it'll be really interesting when I run some of my HR reports and I have to send them in. And I think that they they just make sure essentially, you know, it's the affirmative action idea of making sure that everybody has equal access to a job and that you're um, you know, that you're not kind of over hiring certain, you know, races or, or or you know, genders or whatever. But it's this idea, right, that if when you start to look at the statistics, okay, how many women have I hired in the last twelve months, right? Or or whatnot. If you're, you know, Amazon or Tesla right. or something, you're hiring thousands of people. But yeah, if you hire fifty 50,000 men and two women, that's a problem, right? But there yep. is a yeah. bias. And you're right, when you look at the statistics, they say, you know, statistics don't lie, and they can slap you in the face. And I think that that's, you know, that it's fascinating. You know, you also mentioned something about the book, and you said the white knightism and the, and the family aspect. And look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you out a little, but it's gentle. And I want your thoughts on this. I have moved away from referring to a business as a family and I'm curious as to what your thoughts are and, and it's not meant to say that it doesn't work in some situations but I have been thinking about this as a leader and I have thought you know it is downright um, uh, you know true that you you can you can have some really tough situations with your family and you can quote unquote separate right but it's it's more rare than i think typical but you can fire your employee right like're this is a manager podcast you don't typically fire your family um you also you know I, there are a lot of families that kind of don't talk about a lot of the really kind of things that they should talk about right whereas in a workplace you should and that can also uh kind of get in the way of engagement um you don't pay your family you don't stratify your family by supervisor, non-supervisor, and I was reading a blog about this by one of the um, CEOs of some company, smaller company, like like um you know like a I don't know what it wasn't one of the you know Netflixes or, or whatever, but it was a decent-sized company, and he said we're not a family, and he listed all some of those those reasons, like don't call this a family, but we are a team. And that's how he wanted to start referring to his team members. And he said, if you start referring to each other, you know, like, and, and it's very common, right, for the manager to say, I, and I see this all the time on Facebook, I feel like my kids up front or my girls up front or things like that. And I'm just curious, after reading this book, Michael, your thoughts on is that kind of to, to Dr. Johnson's point, is that kind of somewhat demoralizing, somewhat setting up, a weird power dynamic where the owner of the practice, let's say it's you, Michael, is the dad, right? And you're not their biological father. Like, what do you think that does? And have you rethought the fact? I know you guys have family pet health and you, and you, I think you refer to your, your teams as your family, but have you rethought that at all? And are you willing to dig in a little with us and, and talk to me about? It? Cause I, I'm willing to be wrong, absolutely. I just have been thinking about this and thinking like they're not a family, they're your employees, but they can be great and you can have a team and a leader situation. So, what, Andrea, you know, Michael, what are your guys' thoughts on this?
0: So, so for me, I'm, I'm a hundred percent. This is not my family. These are my teammates. We are family pet health. We're talking about the family pet and uh, we're providing them yeah. health care. <laughs> I try, and this is something that I, I uh, at the beginning I called them my staff and I was like, oh, I don't like that word, no. but they're not my family. They're my team. And we're a high functioning, highly accountable team. And I, uh, the other book I encourage everybody to read that we did in the book club is called the culture code and the five dysfunctions of a team and the power of a positive team. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have to function like a team. You can't, like you said, David, you can't fire your family. Like they're always your family. And my team knows, and we're, we, we, cause we lay it out at the beginning that we're going to try to be the, we, my wife and I want to be the employer of choice and nobody want I one of the greatest lessons I learned through my edu- time in education is that I wanted to fire somebody. I told her, I, I can't wait to fire somebody. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking
2: about? <laughs> <laughs> right, you're crazy.
0: <laughs> I could never fire my coworkers that were lazy. I couldn't fire my students who wouldn't do anything. Like, I'm stuck with all these low-performing people, and it sucked the life out of me, right? It it was terrible to go to work where the where i'm getting paid less than somebody else just because they've been there longer than me and i knew that i was going to have to work with them for the next however long they until they retired right that was that stunk and i was like i can't wait if you aren't if you aren't performing you are out of here and i found and surrounded myself with a team of people that agree with that and it has and like you said it it it's has it, hurt it's it the has team, hurt though. to let some people go yeah It's a team like when if you're having a bad day i want you to come in and tell everybody guys i'm having a really bad day today and i need to i need you to let me know if i'm being an energy vampire to you and or or, hey guys like i'm really i'm dragging mr shirley i'm really not in a good place i'm gonna say go home you know because i don't want you bringing the rest of the team down because we got a lot of work to do because we've got we turned seven people away today right and so you got to have a high performing team and not everybody's on their a game every day. Like that's why you have yeah. substitutes and you have a bench that you go to. Right. And yeah, now we don't have, right. a, we don't have a bench right. at the office, but, but, um, but I'll just take you out of the game if you're not hitting your shots that day. And yeah. And we have clear expectations. Everybody knows their role, their positions. And we, we, we hold each other accountable. Um, And so, yeah, we're, we're a team. We're not a family, uh, but I love them all. And uh, it, it breaks my heart when we've had to let people go right but the a good thing is is that f- with with the exception of two people everybody actually maybe with just the exception of one now uh time heals all wounds right everyone that has not that is no longer with family pet health it's been on they understood it it wasn't an emotional breakup they knew it was coming nobody should be surprised with getting fired um right yeah i so, would say they
1: self-terminate it's on them yep.
0: Yep. Self-terminate. And when, that way, when you do it, it's, it's, there's a record there's, you've had coaching sessions, you've done that and they know it's coming, right? You don't want somebody to stick around too long. You also don't want them to fire them with like too soon. Like you want to try to build them up, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of my stance on a, on a team versus family versus employees or staff. I hate that word. Like i I try, I try my best not to do that. I still slip up from time to time.
1: Yeah, and I I liked Michael the way you when you had said that staff didn't feel good to you, right? And and I really try hard to get away from any time I'm talking in at a team meeting or writing an article or um, anything. I I catch myself. I actually have it in in, in Word that tells me that that um, is the wrong word because I hate the word staff because to me staff are replaceable mm-hmm. and are not that our team is not. But when you have a staff of 50, that is so cold and disheartening. And, and I think engagement has a lot to do with that team environment. And when we're a team member, it's unity and it's unifying and it's togetherness. And a staff is stale and cold and and sterile. And I've really, really tried to catch myself to not say the word staff and absolutely use the word team. And David. I do like the fact how you say like, yeah, there, I just, I mean, I was just at a practice yesterday where I did some culture development and I interviewed every single staff member and, and there is every single staff member, every single team (laughs) member. And every single one of them said, I love it here because we're like a family
0: we're like a family is okay. Yeah, we're like we are like a family, like, it's yeah, a family
1: yeah. environment. Right? right. And I keep thinking to myself like this can't be healthy because you know what, I'll have a knockdown drag out fight with my sister. Yeah. She's always going to be my sister. Like too bad if I break her nose, mm-hmm. but I can't do that with another team member. Right. I, I think of, I mean, I played soccer for, since I was five years old and I think of a team and a coach And I mean, my husband and I watch a ton of sports. So I think of, you know, the the Angels manager and then the CEO of the team and and how, yeah, you're right, Michael, you can go to the bench and get somebody else like Trout's hurt right now. So we got to go to the bench and get somebody else and to take his place. And it may not be the best heavy hitter or home run hitter, but we got to have backup because Trout's not playing his best right now. And I think that is something that could possibly absolutely tie into some of this Inclusify, where we talk about that psychological well-being and compromise and, you know, psychological safety in, in some of that.
0: I was going to say the the, the point of, of the book Inclusify is when you get down to it, a more diverse and inclusive team is more productive. Like my family, we're all pretty much the same, like, but there's not a lot of diversity in my family. <laughs> um, and I know that's not true for everybody's family, but- my team at Family Pet Health is extremely diverse, um, and that makes us better because we have different – we have shared experiences, but we also have different experiences. And everyone the, – the book talks about, like, everyone wants to be unique, but they also want to be a part of a team. Like, they they don't want to – they want to stand out, but they want to fit mm-hmm. in. And so this book talks about how you can help people do that and, and right. does a really good job at it.
2: So one of the areas that I was reading about in reviewing the uh, the book and, and some of the posts on the Facebook group were how Dr. Johnson talks a little bit about brain hijack, brain wiring hijack. And she, I think, referred to it in the sense of when you want to approach a DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion conversation, or tackle something where there's going to be some internal work, right? Like the bias stuff. But I want to just switch gears. I think we've We've um, seen with COVID a lot of really tough clients, difficult clients, tough situations, you know, sorry, you can't be there when your pet's being euthanized type stuff. I mean, really extreme, you know, um, um, really difficult things. And so, Michael, with your leadership skills and leadership philosophy and just being an all-around kick-ass human, which I think you are, and having read her, her book and, and worked through some of that, you know, what do you think about uh, how to how to handle brain hijack? How do you how do you catch it when you find yourself, uh, you know, responding from a little bit of that, I'm in a corner or I want to escape? And then how do you kind of head it off at the pass? You know, we're going to switch gears here to like, how do we deal with a tough employee conversation or a tough client conversation? And, and how does she, you know, what does she um, kind of offer in terms of how to recognize and handle some of that brain hijack stuff?
0: Well, I I think uh, the other part of this white knight, we kind of stuck in this one chapter, because it's a tough, it's a relevant one to our industry. It talks about like, when you see a problem, and you try to tell everybody else that you're trying to fix it, and you're telling them that they're wrong, (laughs) at least they hear that, right? And no one once once people start to feel that you are um, attacking them, their brain shuts down, they don't want to engage, they don't they want to either fight you or get away from you. So it's that fight or flight. And so when you come at, some, when you like, come at me, bro, like <laughs> you come at me, bro, we're either going to fight or I'm I'm going to size <laughs> yeah, you up and I'm going to be right. like, no, I'm just going to leave. <laughs> but you know what I'm not going to do is like sit down and talk it out with you and come to see if we have anything that we can agree on and build from there. So um, I'm going to throw your words back at you, David, because I talk about them. All. Mm-hmm. I've tagged you several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know is that you said on someone else's podcast, uh, I think it was actually Adam Greenbaum's Whisker Talks you said, assume noble intent. That was your big takeaway, right? That if, if somebody only learned one thing, it was that one. And I think that that that's so true. (laughs) It's so true. We talk about it at our office is that when somebody is like, just blows up on you, you're like, what the heck? Like, don't just engage with them and start fighting back. Like step back, try to see things from their perspective. Um, if you don't have any shared experiences with them or don't know what it's like is to, to ask questions about well if you can tell me how you reached that conclusion or yeah, can you tell me can you it. can you explain mm-hmm. that to me a little bit more that's what I did in my classroom without having read this book I, I, to, I told dr johnson i wish i had read this book before i started teaching kids but i did use that technique in my classroom a lot was because i'm not 16 years old i'm 41 years old and so i would just ask him like tell me how you decided that that was the best decision for you um, yes, and then and then this is hard for me if people haven't already been able to tell on this podcast, you have to stop talking and listen. And that's really hard for me. Um, (laughs) Right. So that's Uh definitely something that takes practice, but to ask those types of leading questions where you can try to learn their perspective on things.
1: I learned a lot about going in with, you know, practice owners, I think often will come in with the red hat and they're super emotional, right. And they're charged. And you're like, fire that. You know, receptionist, mm-hmm. she booked a 430 cat that's been vomiting for three weeks. How dare she? And I think, whoa, 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 simmer down. Let's ask some op- open ended questions. And so we, you know, go to the receptionist and say, so tell me about. Um, why you booked that appointment at 430 or what, what led to that decision. And we find out that the client is, you know, whatever sob story and it's the only time that she could make it in, right? Whatever the case may be. Okay, there's exceptions to that. And I think you're absolutely right when we, we go into that charged, right? Or not understanding because maybe there's a generational difference or an age gap or, a, or whatever the case may be where we, we go in not assuming good intent and instead, go in with passion. <laughs> I'll say that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in intensity. And that can make that flight or fight response. And in your Inclusify, one of your prompts that was written uh, week seven, prompt three, Dr. Johnson had given some excellent pointers about how to handle some of these difficult conversations. And in there, there were some questions that I absolutely love and I would love to share. With the listeners today to, to see if they can take some of these back to their practice and utilize them. And, and of course, it's always wonky and weird when you first do it, but it, it's worth it, right? And some of them were, I don't think I understand. Can we go back a little? Another one was clearly we're not seeing eye to eye, and I'd love it if we could start over. And recently, I just had an incident with a couple of doctors were going toe to toe about something, and who cares what it was about? but they made the entire team feel uncomfortable because they were going toe to toe about something. Clearly not seeing eye to eye, right? And I just love some of these. Some of the other follow-up and questions that they had listed in there was, how do you see it? Can you tell me your view? What would you like to see happen? And the last one that was there was, I can see that you feel that way. What can I do to show you that this is not the case? Like some of these things are, are are very much so, I'm trying to connect with you and I can tell we're heated. And so how can I take a step back and have a better conversation with a better outcome where we're going to connect and come together and find a, sol- a solution that fits both of us. Love instead those. of that, like coming at you and it's my way or the highway, and I'm just gonna mow right over the top of you and not even give you the time of day. So tell me about those ones, like Michael, how'd that go?
0: those those are great questions as you were talking about I'm, my mind is racing around thinking about i wish i had used that in this situation over here and things like that you know like yeah, my mind's right. just chasing sure.
2: <laughs> those are really good weren't they nice job andrew those are fantastic <laughs> they
0: honestly i'm just like oh i should have used that the other day <laughs> and, and um i remember the first time a student cussed me out in class i mean dropped the f Ooh, bomb <laughs> flip me off and Ooh,
1: that's all spicy.
0: Everybody's looking at us. Every there's, there's 25 other kids in the class and they're all looking at us. And I can tell the cell phones are coming out. Like they're like, somebody's like, I'm going to be yep, TikTok famous.
2: Right. <laughs> so, yep. um,
0: it was before TikTok actually. But, and I had a moment to, to figure out what am I going to do right here? Right. And I just yeah. listened to her, and I said, "Are you finished?" And she's like, "What?" And I was like, "I'm sorry that you feel that way. I can." And I said that I was like, "I can tell you're really angry, and I don't think it's best yeah. for us to be in the same room together. So I'm gonna go ahead and call the office right now and let them know that you're coming." And uh, and she left, and everybody's like, "I can't believe you let her talk to you like that." And I said, "Are you all crazy? I'm not gonna let you all put me on the internet. <laughs> like that's not yeah. what I want. That wasn't that wasn't what I wanted to say, right?" <laughs> um yeah. because she's poking my butt she knew what to say to get me riled up and at any rate it's kind of the same thing like there's nothing good that comes from just engaging in those facts especially yeah,
1: fire. Yeah. especially
0: when you know that you are so polar opposite of one another that there's not gonna there's not gonna you're not gonna there there are very it's kind of like facebook like just don't post anything just scroll on by because there's very little that you're probably going to post that's going to change their mind <laughs> and there's very little that yeah. you're gonna when somebody's drops an f-bomb at you there's probably at that point not very much you could say that would change their mind about you at that moment and so it's either get away from that or if you can catch it before it escalates to that by asking one of those questions what it does is it diffuses the situation and it gives you a little perspective on where they're coming from because you might go oh exactly Oh, i had no i had no idea and then that just asking one of those questions getting the answer and processing it may change your whole perspective where where, exactly where what we right. what we really want to do is yell back at them. It's a yeah. muscle that you have to to practice with is, is using these these kind of techniques and questions.
1: For sure, as we start to wrap up, Michael, I would love to ask you one piece of advice that you would give your younger self, um, or even our listeners out there, as a seasoned manager, seasoned educator. What's one piece of advice that you could share with us today?
0: The The best piece of advice that I can give people is to take time to get to know what motivates their team individually. Differentiation in the classroom is key to success because everybody is different. And so we all come at things differently. Like I had to have my lesson broken down in about four different ways to, to reach all the students where in their preferred method of learning. In a veterinary team, taking the time to get to know the dreams and goals of your team will help you set them up for more success. It'll help yeah. you provide them more uh, job satisfaction because they feel like they have a purpose and, they can, and you can do it together and, and cel- it allows you an opportunity to celebrate the victories with everybody. And it also allows you the opportunity to be there to support each other when you know things aren't going well. And um, there is nothing better than celebrating the successes of those around you. Absolutely. I mean, I know I'm a, I'm pretty narcissistic. I'm a <laughs> self-centered guy, <laughs> but the the, the thing I, I love, my my greatest joy is when the people around me are successful and I get to watch that. Cuz I'm 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 pretty content with where I'm at in life and I want other people to get to where I am faster. And Mhm. I want to be there, like to help them learn and help them be successful. And you know, one day when I'm dying and people come around, i just want them to tell me, like, Your "Thank legacy, you, Mr. Yeah. thank you, Mr. Shirley, I appreciate it all you did for me." That's that's gonna be the payoff for me. That yeah. the, the hard thing about education and working with kids and is that it takes so long to see the payoff. But man, it's it's pretty sweet when it happens. I've got a student right now, former student. She's not a student of mine anymore. She was uh, in, at the high school. I told her when I was when we were buying this practice and stuff that I, I even told her then I was like I'm I'm gonna be buying your practice next week, <laughs> and she's like what and I was like oh yeah I'm Dr. Shirley and I we're gonna close on this you've got four years of undergrad four years of vet school and then you're get, you need to get about four years of experience and then you can come and buy it we'll have it ready for you and she's nice. actually yeah she's actually with us this summer working and she starts veterinary school this fall <laughs> nice
2: <laughs> and I
0: and I just love watching her grow and and doing super those rewarding. And, Yep. Yeah. And it's so cool. Like I love watching my seasoned vet techs teach her as well. And they just have such a heart for, for education. It, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch.
1: We have all had those encounters with either a client or I would say a practice owner, but that's going to be you and your wife. So probably yeah. not. She's maybe the an worst. Employee. <laughs> yeah, usually they are. <clears throat> and maybe even a student, whoever, Um, That in the moment, like your chin hits the ground in shock, eyes pop out of your head like pugs, palm hits the forehead and you say like, no way this shit just happened. A story you could never, ever, ever make up. So seriously. You can't make this shit up. Share your story with us, Michael.
0: Oh gosh, can I give you a positive one? And I'm gonna give you a negative one and then I'll give you a positive one. So the, the first, the first and the names are changed, right? Okay, I had, yes. I had employee- Yes, protect a. the innocent. Yes, I had employee a, after many coaching sessions about showing up to work on time, told me that the reason that they couldn't get to work was that their spouse kept trying to have relations with them in the morning and that's why they were late to work. Oh gosh. And. <laughs> I was uh, that, there. You go. Wow. That's exactly my response. Oh, is I sat there and I'm like,
1: "Shit, no way." I,
0: I was like, "I feel so uncomfortable," and I'm all alone in this room. Right, what do you wow. even say to that? I just sat there and Man. I was. I I don't know what what that person expected me to say, but I was just. I was. I was frozen.
2: <laughs> and oh i'm like my god you should have said uh you know well you might as well just do it just real quick get it over you know, work with work on time yeah. <laughs> right. oh man yeah
0: that's the one that i was like jaw
1: dropping yes
0: but the one that i tell people that they're like i've never heard of that happening before i, I mentioned that we bought a no low practice so it needed a lot of investment and uh, we had x-ray that with film we had to develop it and my wife and i said okay we know we're gonna go digital but we're gonna, we're gonna ride this little developer and x-ray table from 1974, it was built in 1974. Ooh. We are going to use it until it breaks and when it breaks, then we're gonna replace it. Well, wouldn't you know, two weeks after we bought the practice, it yeah. broke. So we, we, we invested the money, got rid of the developer, and, but we still had this 1974 machine and one day, my wife and one of our licensed technicians was in the room, and they had a dog sedated in the trough on the table. And they had taken a couple of shots, and they were they were looking at them. And all of a sudden, the machine started going like making this weird noise, and then it started taking X-rays by itself. And then at the top, oh, the no. X-ray the X-ray emitting tube blew up like a bomb. <gasps> it shot the the end cap on the uh, emitting tube shot off of the machine and and hit the wall and it sprayed that hot oil. I didn't know that they were full of oil, but it sprayed like it's a cooling oil and it was it, it exploded that oil all over the x-ray room.
2: Oh, geez,
0: that's so scary. Right,
1: oh my god! Over the
0: nurse, over the dog that was on the table. And wouldn't you know that was the only room where I didn't have a security camera. So I never got to actually see the explosion. At that time I was teaching. And so I did have a deal with my principal that I was allowed to have my phone on and my brother called me but i my brother works for us too it's, it's a true family business he called me and uh, i just ignored it like i do with my brother all the time and uh, <laughs> then he then he texted me and he's like call me 911 and i'm like oh god so i called him Ooh. and it went to vo- like he didn't answer i'm like what is going on and my mind's thinking that my wife is hurt or something you know
1: yeah and go um, to the worst
0: yeah so uh, at any rate, I called him. He's like, oh, we got it under control. I'm like, what happened? He goes, oh, the x-ray table blew up, but it's okay. I'm like, what? What?" <laughs> so, so yeah, he had called, He was on with like trying to that find out crazy. if they were all exposed to radiation and stuff. But, oh, but, man. Um, but the cool That's thing crazy. about the camera angle, this story is really long. I'm a storyteller. I'm sorry. Like you could see the all of a sudden my wife like, runs out of the room and then the smoke comes and then the tech comes like dragging oh, this gosh. dog. But the cool thing was, was like, oh, man. it was like crisis mode and everybody on our team jumped into action. They cleaned the dog up, they got the room cleaned up and they were back open for business like 30 minutes later.
2: Wow. And, uh, and now we have down, a new extra uh, wow. table. So. <laughs> good, good deal. Because uh, I think I would be a little worried if you said, "Oh, and that extra table—we patched it up, and it's still yeah, working." It yeah, yeah right. Me, a I mean, duct tape, it's
1: fine. Yeah, that's what the guy said. He goes,
2: "We could put
0: a new tube on it," and I'm like, "No one, everyone <laughs> no, here will go. No. We're getting a new table." No. no. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yep.
1: <laughs> hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com.
2: So Michael, as we end uh, the show, this is our rapid fire section where I ask you kind of hard hitting questions and we usually have you respond with kind of a 30 seconds or less kind of that Freudian right off the tongue response. Um, So are you ready, sir? I will try to be under 30 seconds. Oh, this is a lot of pressure. (laughs) So Michael, tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. (laughs) So, So I mentioned that I'm not really a details
0: guy, I'm more of a dreamer guy, like worry about the details later. Um, I knew that you had to pay taxes, but I always just thought it was quarterly, and so um, I didn't realize that sales tax were due every month, so the first time I sat down after we had been open for a while, I was like, oh, I think I got to pay quarterly taxes or something, and I logged logged in, and I realized that we had like, I had more in fines than I owed in sales tax. Oh, no.
2: (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. And tell me about your proudest moment.
0: My proudest moment over the past three years since owning Family Pet Health has been, actually, it was just very recently that my brother came to me the other day and was like, I just want you to know that I think you're doing a really great job and you're a good boss. And that was pretty much like the nicest thing he's ever said to
2: me. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? For
0: me, it allows me the opportunity to teach. There's so much opportunity for education within our industry and people love to learn about taking better care of their pets. So it's as a teacher, it's a target rich environment because people love to listen when we are trying to educate them on how to take better care of their pets. And uh, and and then our our team is is there's lots of opportunities for growth there. And as practice owners, like this is really I'm learning something new every day. And I hope maybe that maybe like this podcast that I can help other people.
2: Self-care, really important in our profession for managers to have boundaries and take care of themselves. How do you practice it? How do you decompress?
0: I love working on our farm. We have a little 30 acre farm and um, I love listening to podcasts. I, I put my earbuds in and my head, uh, ear protection on and I cut the grass or work on fences or mow the grass, you know, just doing stuff like that. Right now at this, at this season of my life, I love watching my kids do things that they love. So I just love spending time with my family, doing things with them.
2: How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any kind of work guilt in that balance?
0: I don't think that work-life balance exists, and I consider it more of a juggle. You know, when you throw, you think about someone juggling, they're always got one ball that's rising and one that's falling, and you can, there's only so many hours in the day, and there's only so many things you can do, so if you're dedicating a lot of time to one thing, you're kind of cheating on another, and so I just kind of, Try to remember that, and try to juggle all of the balls that I've got going on, um, just not to let any drop. (laughs) Um, I don't really think that balance exists because that gives you the idea that you can keep everything perfect. With and sometimes things are just going to fall.
2: So, what keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out? Things that cause you anxiety in your business?
0: I do stress out sometimes. uh, I really stress out in our area. Land is super expensive. Like we've experienced. A tremendous amount of growth in our area and so I'm trying to figure out I'm really stressed out about how our current location can provide us enough revenue to generate to save up to build the next one and I'm trying to navigate that so if there's any uh, veterinary lenders out there or people with just you know a couple of million dollars looking to invest I would love to talk to you <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
2: What gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day?
0: My goal here is to create the type of work environment where my wife wants to go and practice every day and surround myself with people that that are energetic and are positive and help us meet the mission to to provide for the needs of family pets and and, in a positive environment and take care of our team.
2: Well, Michael, thank you so much much Thank for you, coming Michael. on the show. This has been this lovely. Really appreciated. Yeah. Getting to know you better.
0: Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience and encourage everyone to go to Facebook and do a search in the groups for the VLBC, which is the Veterinary Leadership Book Club. So Facebook groups, Veterinary Leadership Book Club, come and join us. Fantastic.
2: Perfect. Thanks. Thanks and Michael. Have a great weekend. We'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow.
1: We want to hear from you. Good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a -A P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your you can't make this shit up story featured? Email us.
2: You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a -A P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. Social media management and website design by Dog Days Consulting.
1: This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane.
2: The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrew Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever is expressly disclaimed.